What is the perfect story? Does it exist? Is there a tangible formula? Has the perfect story ever been told? And if so, are we simply trying to retell the story over and over? This podcast is called The Midnight Myth, and somewhere between the black of night and the break of dawn, there is a story, and it's perfect. My name is Derek Jones. And my name is Laurel Hostack. Welcome to The Midnight Myth. Welcome back to the Midnight Myth, everybody's favorite philosophy, history, mythology, and how those three subjects bubble into our popular storytelling. I am very excited to be back for another Midnight Myth episode. It has been a bit of an odd series of events over the past few weeks. There was a strong chance we weren't going to have an episode for two weeks in a row which would have been terrible, but here we are. Um, We decided to take last week off because, quite frankly, we were just a little too busy. We had way too much going on. We were going to be out of town for the weekend, which we usually record the podcast on the weekend. So we weren't going to be in or near the studio. So we're like, you know what? Why don't we just take the week off? And then our AC broke in our home, so we had no air conditioning, And where our podcast studio was would have been a thousand degrees. Well, good news, Midnight Myth fans. The air conditioning has been fixed and we are here for an episode. And we're going to be rounding out our series on science fiction. And, um, you know, I say at the start of every episode that I'm very excited. But let me tell you, I am very excited for this one. Because here's where we're at. We have done a lot of different science fiction movies. So we started with, what did we start with? I don't even remember. We started with 2001. 2001, A Space Odyssey. Then we went to... Alien. Alien. Then we went to Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. And then we did... Terminator, Terminator 2, 2. Judgment Day. Yeah. Wow, taking a week off really messes with you. It really does. And already, like, time doesn't mean anything in this space. So it's like, what's going on? How long has it been since we were here? And here we are, our last episode, and we're going to be talking about one of my favorite television shows of all time, easily. It is sci-fi to a core with some unique twists to it. It wouldn't exist without the aforementioned properties. Um, others ones will be mentioned as well. We are talking about the smash hit phenomenon of popular nerd culture, Rick and Morty. Yeah, Rick and Morty. Wubba lubba dub dub. We're back talking Rick and Morty, which we did uh, a while back, a couple years ago. Um, but this episode will be a little bit more targeted in what we discuss. Uh, and I think it's kind of a fun way to round out this science fiction series, because as you mentioned, it wouldn't exist without the properties that we discussed prior. This particular season even had an entire episode that was based on the sort of same premise as Alien, 
Um, but we definitely want to explore some of how uh, Rick and Morty takes the science fiction genre and the tropes and the things that we're used to and makes them very postmodern and takes them into a totally new context for something that feels very, very original, even while it's riffing on really known properties. Uh, you know, we started our previous series on nostalgia with Back to the Future, which the the relationship between Doc Brown and Marty McFly in Back to the Future is the basis of Rick and Morty. So very much this is tied to a lot of the things that we have discussed recently uh, and is kind of a fun way to round out science fiction. Now, are we going to stop talking science fiction after this? Absolutely not. Because as you noticed, we didn't do Blade Runner in this uh, in this series. So we're going to have to do that eventually before we die. Um, and there are tons more uh, sci-fi properties that we will want to get to. So please stay tuned and we'll come back to that. If this was really your thing, we can't wait to talk more sci-fi in the future. Oh yeah. And we're going to talk more Doctor Who because we always do a Doctor yeah. Who. But you know, so Rick and Morty, there's been a long time between season three and season four. So it hasn't, we haven't had a lot to say about it. Um, and I'm just really, really excited. I adore this show. And I know that there are fans out there that have had a complicated relationship to season four, things that we may dive into a little bit here. It certainly was kind of rough having six episodes, a six month break, and then six more episodes. It made the season feel a little disjointed compared to other seasons. But here we are ready to roll up our sleeves, ready to get to work. I hope everybody out there is enjoying their summer to the best that they can, considering social distancing guidelines and the raging pandemic. And I think it's time for us just to grab our portal gun, shoot some little green slime out of it, jump into another dimension, and get a little swifty in here. Yeah, let's get swifty in here. Oh, yeah, get swifty. But before we get too deep into it, um, do your thing, Laurel. Yeah, before we get too swifty, uh, if you want to get in touch with us, we would love to hear from you, especially right now when we're not seeing our friends or family, so we really need somebody to talk to. Uh, hit us up on social media. We're on Twitter at The Midnight Myth. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Midnight Myth Podcast. You can also drop us a line on our website, midnightmyth.com. Uh, if you ever want to send us a lengthy email, drop a, a line in the contact form there. Uh, also, while you're at that website, you can check out our previous blogs, uh, and extra content. You can get a link to our Patreon page. If you were considering supporting us monetarily, you can absolutely do that for a small monthly donation, uh, and you'll get bonus content and extra perks if you do that. Uh, also on the website, there'll be a link to our merch store. If you really, really need a Midnight Myth t-shirt, now would be a great time to grab one. Um, and those are kind of the ways to support us. The best way, though, that you can support us right now does not cost you any money, and it only takes about five minutes of your time. That's head over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen and leave us a five-star rating and a review. That would go a really, really long way in showing us your support and helping others find us. Lovely. And, you know, our good friend at Verbal Diorama, M said this on her podcast that I thought, I don't know why we haven't said this either. If you like the Midnight Myth, please tell a friend. Oh, yeah. Yeah, tell a friend to listen. That's probably the best way that we can grow, word of mouth. So, yeah, pass us along if you're enjoying this, because we'd love to get new listeners and grow the podcast. Let's just uh, call it like it is. We absolutely love being a podcast family. 
We're going to continue doing it for as long as we possibly can. And the bigger audience we have, the more encouragement we will have to keep going. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Uh, yeah, if you if you like the podcast, tell a friend. If you don't like it, tell your enemies. Uh, just tell someone. <laughs> I love it. Um, so this is how this episode's going to work. We're going to discuss one episode from season four of Rick and Morty. If we find that this is a successful episode, just deep diving into a Rick and Morty episode, there's a lot of Rick and Morty that we could pick apart and talk. So we might continue to do this. Yeah, let us know. And uh, so here how is how it is going to work. We are going to talk exclusively season four, episode six. Oh God, what's the, the title? I just blanked. Never Ricking Morty. Never Ricking Morty. Let's just do a quick brief recap of it. It starts with some strangers on a train drinking in which there is a flashback scene to how everyone wants to kill Rick Sanchez. As the stranger who has no connection to Rick Sanchez makes his way through the train, he gets to a Christmas cart where everyone talks about Rick Sanchez and how he saved Christmas. Then he encounters a beautiful blonde woman who says that she just came from the ex-girlfriend cart where everyone was talking about their relationships. Comes to find out this man and this blonde woman are really Rick and Morty in disguise. What they're doing is making their way through this train that seems to be creating some sort of a narrative field. They have a encounter with the tickets, please guys that I cannot recap and describe. You just have to watch the show. It's so insane. And they make their way outside of the train ultimately to the show Lord. No, the story Lord who is commanding this train. The story Lord wants to zap the narrative potential out of Rick and Morty, connects them to a machine that will either suck their limitless narrative potential and all of their potential character arcs or burn them out. As the show Lord is doing this, we see potential other Rick and Morty episodes, plot lines, even a potential series finale involving the Meeseeks, the Citadel of Ricks run by evil Morty and the Gazorpa Zorks. Did I say that right? No. Oh, yeah. The, the, the Gazorpa Zorp. Yeah. The, the Gazorpa Zorps all culminating. This is when Rick decides in order to not get burned out, he's going to convert to Christianity, pray to Jesus Christ. Morty does too. All of these Christian characters, including Christ show up and it breaks the machine because nobody really wants to see that story. This is when the Story Lord, having been defeated, Rick and Morty then decide they're going to drive this train back home, only to realize they're actually AI Rick and Mortys stuck on a story train that the real Rick and Morty purchased. And that by that, I mean Morty purchased at the Citadel of Rick's. And drunken, throw-up-laden Rick goes on a ranting monologue about how proud he is of Morty for having bought something with the pandemic raging on, you have to go out and buy th something because oh, he just loves money so much. The final cut scene has Story Lord and Jesus, and Jesus realizing that he's just a construction of a story. He decides to derail the train, destroying them all. Morty says, should I return this train, seeing that it's now derailed and broken? And Rick says, have you not listened to a thing I've said? Go out and buy a new one. Well done. Nice recap there. You got a lot of the nuance. So this is a really jam-packed episode with just like stuff flying. It's really non-linear. It's totally wild. And I commend you for taking that on because I would not have been able to do that. There are certain things that you just have to see in the episode. I guess it's too late for the spoiler wall, but you made it this far. You knew we were talking Rick and Morty. 
I just want to ask, in all of Rick and Morty season four, why, Laurel, did you want to pick out this one as the one we focused on? There's a lot of, there's the dragon episode. That's great. There's the time traveling snakes. That's amazing. There's the vat of acid that doesn't burn them. That's just hysterical. There's the alien face hugger one with uh, Glory to Glorzo. Why this one? Yeah, um, I mean, great question. For me, uh, this is the mid-season premiere. And as you mentioned, there had been a lengthy break in between. Uh, and the the first half of the season was fine for me, but this to me was the first really standout great episode. Um, like it was the first one that I was like, yeah, I could watch this again and again. And it was just full of themes and interesting uh, scenarios and things that I had not really uh, seen these characters do before. So it really did just stand out to me as probably my favorite episode of the season. Um, but the reason I think we're focusing on it from a Midnight Myth perspective, uh, I think there's a lot of reasons, but in particular, it goes into a, a deep analysis of how Rick and Morty uh, creates a story or, or how Dan Harmon and Justin Roiland create a story with these characters. And what are we but people who deconstruct how stories are told and why they're told that way and why they've been told that way for thousands of years. So uh, for me, this was an opportunity to jump into story structure uh, and also to jump into some of the really complex themes that are built around these characters of Rick and Morty and how they relate not only to the in-universe characters and how they all relate to each other, but how we as fans, we as uh, content creators, we as uh, critics uh, interact with that story world. It's just a like a massive it's a never ricking Morty. It's a never ending story of uh, opportunity for us to uh, be introspective and also to try and understand these characters a little bit better. Oh, geez, Laurel, that's just got real meta. <laughs> a little bit. Oh, geez, that's just that's got really, really meta. Yeah, um, I love everything that you just said. This episode is very much a, a story about storytelling in and of itself. It's about television storytelling. It's about a train going in a circle for forever with unlimited narrative potential. But we all know every story needs an end. No TV show can go on for forever. Maybe The Simpsons and South Park will prove me wrong on that. But eventually, stories do have to come to an end or some sort of a conclusion. This is a story that's about loops within loops within loops. This is a story about a character named Rick Sanchez, who often is in other previous episodes aware in part that he's in a TV show that has another version of Rick Sanchez that becomes aware that he is not only in a TV show, but also in a toy train as a prop of the TV show. These layers of meta-ness, I think, are where I really wanted to kind of peel apart and ask the fundamental question of, what does this episode say about storytelling? So you mentioned that you wanted to talk about it because it's about storytelling. Well, if it's about storytelling, what's it telling us? What can we podcasters, critical media analysis, pop culture philosophers, what can we get out of this particular episode? Yeah. So funny enough, uh, not to interrupt where we were at, Laurel and I were doing this episode 
when we started noticing that it was very warm in our podcast studio. And as you recall from earlier in the episode, we weren't going to do the episode because our AC wasn't working, and thank God it was. Well, in the middle of us talking, our AC completely died on us again, so we have no air conditioning. Yeah, it's been a roller coaster of a week, you guys, but we are going to power through the rest of this episode, and it's going to be great. We've done a sort of pseudo-rig, so I have a old window unit that's in my bedroom across the hall with a fan pointing down the hallway, try to get in some cool air into the podcast studio. It is very warm in here. Um, and so that'll keep it somewhat comfortable. But we love you, Midnight Myth listeners, so we're going to sweat for you. The things we do for love. And uh, yeah, there was a big break between where we were and where we are now because we had to call our repair person and demand that they come immediately. And yeah, that was not a whole lot of fun. But the good people that are doing the work actually agreed to come and fix our AC unit on a Sunday, even though they don't actually work on a Sunday. And I actually really, really respect that they're willing to do that to try to get our AC running. Anyway, that's our side story. Yeah, thank you for pardoning that interruption. Welcome to home ownership, friends out there. This is the stuff you do. We're going to continue with the show. We were just talking about why this episode, and Laurel, you had mentioned to understand this episode, you think we need to understand the showrunner, head writer, Dan Harmon. Yeah, I think that's really the way to uh, get into this conversation about meta storytelling, stories about stories, and to understand why this particular episode is structured in the way that it is. So if you are a Dan Harmon fan, if you liked Community, if you've watched Harmon Quest, if you are a devoted fan of Rick and Morty, you're going to already know this thing I'm going to talk to you about. Uh, But if you're a casual fan or you've just watched a few episodes, you may not know about this. Uh, We're going to discuss Dan Harmon's story circle. Uh, So this is an adaptation of Joseph Campbell's Uh, Hero's Journey or Monomyth, which is something we obviously talk about frequently on this episode or on this podcast. Uh, Dan Harmon works from a modified version of that. Joseph Campbell, of course, was uh, the great writer and comparative mythologist who believed that there were common themes, universal themes across stories from all cultures uh, that follow a very specific pattern uh, that he split up into 12 or 17 steps called The Hero's Journey. Dan Harmon pictures this like a circle. So I'm going to go ahead and ask you to close your eyes and picture a circle. Is it a circle of AC making the room cool? Yes, it is. It's a circle of AC making the room cool. I'm picturing it. If that's what you need to picture. But I like to picture a pie. Uh, Picture a, a, a perfect little like pumpkin or pecan pie, whatever is your favorite, divided into eight slices. Now we have a top half and a bottom half. The top half of the circle represents order, comfort, the character's status quo, home, whatever is most comfortable and what you're used to. The bottom half is going to represent chaos, discomfort, characters being pressed into something unnatural or unfamiliar, the journey away from home. And we're going to move around this circle clockwise as we explore Dan Harmon's story structure. So it's divided into eight slices, like I said. Number one is a comfort zone. Your character starts out probably at home in a place where they are comfortable just going about their daily lives. In slice two, they identify a desire or objective that they want to go after. 
in part three, we're gonna leave the top half of the pie now, we're at like three o'clock, we're thrown into an unfamiliar situation. In part four, we have adaptation, the character adapts to the unfamiliar situation. In part five, the character achieves the objective. In part six, they pay a heavy price to achieve that objective. And then in seven, they return home or return to their comfort zone. And in part eight, they demonstrate that the journey has changed them in some way. So very simple, you follow that circle clockwise and you've got a perfect episode of television there. You've got your character leaving home, going on a journey, getting something that they want, but having to change significantly in order to achieve it. Love it. You know, you can't understate the impact that Joseph Campbell has had on contemporary screenwriting. You know, we've talked about this before in the pod, and a lot of that is because of George Lucas using the hero with a thousand faces intentionally in Star Wars, then the success of Star Wars leading to other writers adapting this formula. And in many ways, Harmon is famous for being a Campbellian screenwriter. He is famous for being publicly discussing this structure. You can find him doing interviews. You can find him doing podcasts saying this is how he structures an episode. And Rick and Morty is fundamentally always about Rick and Morty exiting the literal home that they live in and coming back and in there having to pay some kind of a price and having change. It also creates a dynamic, which is good for the, for television is that Harmon is really great at creating characters who take one step forward, two steps backward in particular in the character, Rick. I do think the character Morty has evolved from the, the original He's just there because his dumbness masks Rick's intelligence. And that's why he goes with Morty. I think Morty has proven that he has a level of human intelligence. Granted, not raw intellectual scientific horsepower like Rick, but he's a level of human intelligence and human yeah, and empathy. Yeah, he's gained a certain amount of independence over the, uh, over the, the last few seasons. We've seen that character really evolve, and we see him being very confident in Rick in where in earlier seasons... He's really being manipulated by Rick pretty hard, even though probably the best Morty manipulation happens in this season with you son of a bee. I'm in. Yeah, absolutely. In the heist episode, but that's a different episode. Sorry, I got us off track there. And just another weird rabbit hole. Now that Laurel is pregnant and we're going to have a kid, it's crazy how I've just stopped cursing in particular on the pod. Yeah. Which I used to curse like a sailor. Anyway, back concentrating on this. Rick is a character who is constantly growing in each episode, but he does reset in between and has to regrow again. And I think this is not only good comedically, like the worst thing you can do is try to explain why something's funny. Rick and Morty's funny because Dan Harmon's funny. The actors are funny. The entire team is funny. The animation is funny. I don't need to explain why it's funny, but why that character is so appealing is that we can see him grow and learn, reset, and have to regrow and learn in different ways. And since Rick always goes back to, I'm a genius and I'm terrible, and that's always his default reset, you're able to um, continually go on these journeys where he gets out of the home, he gets the thing he wants, he pays a price, he comes back home being like, oh man, what have I done? 
And then the next episode, reset, we're right back there. And that's exactly why Harmon draws it as a circle. And it's the same if you've ever watched an episode of Community. Just watch Jeff Winger and his journey throughout the episode. You will see him leave a comfort zone, you know, go after something that he wants and have to make a sacrifice in order to significantly change. And it'll always be, you know, a a pretty big revelation for the character. But by the end, by the start of the next episode, he'll still have to do some work. And that's what you have to do. You have to be prepared for if you're doing episodic television. Uh, And especially if you're in a situation like Dan Harmon is in now with Rick and Morty, where it started off as this sort of uh, underground adult swim show that a few people were watching and has become this pop culture juggernaut where the fans can be so rabid they can completely destroy a McDonald's uh, with Szechuan sauce. Like where the demand for Rick and Morty uh, content and merchandise is so powerful that the pressure can seem overwhelming. And that's another aspect of what this episode is about. The fact that, uh, you know, it takes time to make a show that is this clever, is this funny, and uh, is is animated. Like, it takes time to do this work uh, and to to do the writing and to do all of the animation that goes into it, but they've got, you know, a couple hundred episodes ordered in the future. So they have this expectation placed on them by fans to continue to expand the universe, to continue to get better and get funnier and get cleverer and get weirder. But also they have to like go into serious Simpsons mode. Like they have so many episodes ordered, they have to find a way for this show to become sustainable. And that's why we have, you know, a character in Story Lord who is trying to extract all of their story potential because we're trying to see what happens if we put these characters into a loop, right? If we say that this show is going to go on indefinitely, Rick and Morty, forever, a thousand seasons, six seasons in a movie, you need a lot of story potential to sustain that. So I think that is at the heart of how this episode and why this episode is directly satirizing and acknowledging Dan Harmon's story circle. There's a scene where uh, Rick is looking at a schematic of the train, and he's like, oh, of course it's a circle. So we're on this train here. This car must be the engine. So about at this car, we'll have to pay a heavy price to get what we want, and then we'll end up... He's absolutely just looking at a map of Dan Harmon's story circle and saying, how do we, you know, continue around on this train, but acknowledging at the same time that nobody has limitless potential. So I think that's a huge part of the fun of this episode, is zooming out and seeing, uh, okay, maybe we should take a little bit of the pressure off of these creators, because look at what they've been asked to do. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love where you're going. I want to pick apart a few things. So we have a few like representations of circles in this episode. For starters, we have the uh, train schematic as a circle. 
We have the train going on a circle. Um, you have the metaphor of something going off the rails. You have the metaphor of the train wreck. You have all of these things about circularness and trains. You mentioned juggernauts. And I think the story train is the the literal ride that Dan Harmon is on with Rick and Morty. He's on this story train. And in it, he's trying to think of all of these different ideas of how to make Rick and Morty a successful show. Without burning out. And he's going through this. And he is literally telling us, man, this is burning me out. You know, and to an extent, I'm psychoanalyzing the author. And I, I yeah. don't know if he's feeling that or if that's just the joke. You know, but looking at the meta aspect of it, there's an element, you called it postmodernist, you've called it deconstructionist, you've called it these really big, really dense um, intellectual terms, and I think they're accurate. And I think if we ask a bit about what makes Rick and Morty a postmodernist deconstruction of sci-fi, it is the fact that the writers are often one with the characters. They don't seem to have a fifth wall between them, pardon the pun from the episode. Right. You know, because, you know, Rick has already broken the fourth wall. He's already talked to the audience. He's already aware that he is a cartoon character. This episode now breaks something new. It's called the fifth wall, where it's breaking the story structure. The character's not only aware they're in a show, they're aware of how the plot will work based upon narrative structures that have happened in the past. Meanwhile, we're also getting non-diegetic sort of parallel storytelling, meaning we're getting stories that are outside of the Rick and Morty story universe presented to us through the Rick and Morty story universe. So I'm talking about the Tickets Please guy who gets cut in half on the story train uh, and then wakes up in blips and chits uh, the arcade, which is a reference to the Royal Life Well Lived episode, uh, and then lives out this crazy existence where he's cut in half in both realities, but in this reality, it blips and chits. He becomes a deity for other people to worship, and it has nothing to do with the actual Rick and Morty universe. It's happening completely outside of our bubble. Uh, so it is, in a sense, breaking another wall of storytelling by showing us something completely unrelated uh, that we will probably never come back to and that has no significance on the main story, uh, but in a way just opens up the show a little bit more. Except that this is one of the most atheist works of art I have seen in a long time. Yeah. There are two explicit atheistic references in it. The first is with the Tickets Please guy, who once, get, once he gets ripped in half and is living in these two narratives, we get a scene of aliens thinking that this is the new God. He is yeah, floating blood man. Floaty blood man is sustaining our reality because everything is in floaty blood man's imagination. And the only way to keep that going is to hold in your sexual urges. And then as soon as one of them succumbs the, to his sexual urges, as soon as the babe says, Oh, that turns me on. He's like, all right, let me just give up this whole faith and get laid. And then the universe collapses and the universe collapses. But coincidentally, Right, the universe collapses because that's the same moment yeah. where Morty kills Tickets Please Man because he's suffering. Has nothing to do with his religious convictions that the universe ends. It's a total, just random freak coincidence that those things coincide. And then, lastly, making Jesus a character in this, literally calling Jesus a story, and then having Jesus destroy the story train, being like, "I and 
Oftentimes, the Bible is referenced and called by many contemporaries to date the greatest story ever told. Yeah. And so we have this sort of atheistic through line, starting with the ticket please man, ending with Jesus ending the train, realizing that he is just a a AI construct. And I assume that's how the train works. This is all artificial intelligence, right? However, right in the sci-fi sure, sense. Sure, yeah. Yeah, that this is just... It's a simulation. Yeah, yeah it's a simulation. These aren't actual um, flesh and blood human beings. No, they are uh, they have no souls. They're puppets of fate, according to the, the cutscene at the end. I think the cutscene, the commercial, calls them, you know, puppets of fate making humans into the new secular gods because they've created this synthetic life form called the story train just to sell to Morty's in the Citadel of Ricks. Yeah, well, and in this, it, it is a very atheist, philosophically, it's very atheistic. And in its meta-ness, you know, Morty's just like, oh man, I, have we gone too far? Yeah. <laughs> and, and Rick goes, no, Jesus literally saved us. And it's, it's so hysterical because Jesus literally saves them, but their souls are still just as empty and black as rotten. And I think the philosophical hook, once we get beyond what's the saying about storytelling, which I do think is the main point. Yeah. And what does it say about Rick and Morty storytelling? I think the entry point to Harmon's circle is the right one. I think the other through line, the B plot, if you will, is just like, there's no God. It's really capitalism. Well, and I think this is, uh, that aspect is really interesting to me. The fact that uh, we have the tickets, please guy becoming floaty, bloody man, who is the, uh, you know, his nightmare becomes an entire universe. Uh, And then we have Jesus on the beach with story Lord and story Lord telling him, Oh, actually, your God is created out of a Sumerian God named Yah and a Mesopotamian God named Wei. Uh, so you're actually just an invention and a conflation of a, a couple of different mythological tradition, traditions, which is not true. Like, that's not the um, it's, actual it's basis. Sloppy, it's sloppy Near Eastern religious and mythological story to, or analysis at best. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, definitely that is... That is uh, cheap way of them uh, getting this point across. But the point that's being put across is that uh, a lot of belief systems are based on really good storytelling, are based on uh, storytelling traditions that are passed on through generations and that are uh, built into rituals and myths and the way that people relate to each other and ask for things of their earth and their universe. But at the same time, we have the character of Rick who is sort of that for the audience in a way uh, and is definitely that for the other characters on the story train. So we see that every single car on the story train from the people who want to kill him to all the jilted ex-girlfriends, which includes Elsa from Frozen, a couple of other Disney princesses, and Yaddle, I think, from Star Wars is in that train as well. And then we've got all the people who see uh, Rick as the guy who saved Christmas, so who basically venerate him as a kind of Santa Claus. Rick has become this kind of universal, monomythic hero or villain to everyone on the story train, which he also kind of is for us, right? So we are looking at Rick as, uh, as Doc Brown. Rick is... The Doctor from Doctor Who. Rick is God. Rick is... Terminator uh, 2. The Terminator. Rick is the guy who killed God. Rick is the smartest man in the universe. Rick is the worst person in the universe. Uh, Rick is the reason that I uh, keep shouting, I'm Pickle Rick. Or Rick is why I harassed 
a McDonald's employee for running out of Szechuan sauce. So again, this very like meta exchange, but this analysis of how um, our relationship to storytelling can form entire belief systems, whether those belief systems are sincere or like virtuous or like actually provide us any kind of satisfaction. That was brilliant. Drop the mic, but they're on stands. Thanks. <laughs> that was brilliant. And Rick has become the whatever we need him to be. And because of that, whatever belief system we need to structure around Rick becomes that belief structure. So whether he's your atheistic hero, he's your new pagan god, he's your new anti-hero, you hate Rick and you watch him, you watch the show because you want him to fail or you want to watch him grow. Or Rick is the universal ex-boyfriend who hurt you or... Whatever he is, he can be anything to everyone. And that's a reflection on how storytelling can shape our beliefs brilliant. I totally agree with that analysis. And it goes back to the mythic origins of ancient poetry and song. In ancient pre-literate society, the way knowledge was memorized and transmitted from one generation to the other was through the codification of myths and legends into songs that were memorized and sung and changed and adapted. And adapted. This is where all of our ancient myths, all of our ancient poems, all of our ancient music, all of our ancient morality, all of these things come out of this uh, tradition of sharing stories as a way to transmit knowledge generation to generation. And it is so unbelievably powerful that it echoes through to Rick and Morty today. Yeah, to wubba-lubba-dub-dub. And to whatever narratives we are choosing to tell about ourselves, the things that we are choosing to resonate to, the things that we're choosing to elevate, the things we are choosing to suppress and not acknowledge, are all part of this thing called the story of us now. And that is a really wise point. And we do, one of the reasons I love this project that we do is because we get to these inflection points we get to these moments of great strife and crisis and we see a TV show pull back the veneer of what a TV show is and just tell you, just buy things. That's what this is all about. <laughs> yeah. Just buy things. I love money. Just go out and purchase a new train. You did the most important thing ever, which is go out and buy. And it reminds us that like in this moment of crisis, who do we become is largely going to be about the narratives we choose to tell. And are those narratives going to be increasing consumerism? Are those narratives going to be increasing political division? Are those narratives going to be about increasing unity and higher values and a return or return, or I don't know, trying to not be a, a Rick Sanchez, for lack of a better word. And I think that's the, the inflection point that we're currently living in. And that's one of the reasons this episode really called to me is because it says, you know, all of this is made up. We're all just on a story train. We're all just trying to zap our lives for narrative potential. Joseph Campbell was at his core, yes, a mythologist, but also believed in psychoanalysis. He was trying to unlock the power of the individual for us to own our own narratives for us to be able to control the story of our lives. Yeah. To be better people. 
And if Rick and Morty is about anything, it's about maybe some of these really messed up individuals. Brilliant, talented, funny, um, entertaining, could somehow be slightly better people at the end of this bizarre thing called being alive in the multiverse. Whew, yeah. Uh, you know, it should be mentioned that the episode ends with a call to action for the audience, uh, which I think is is several layers of joke within joke. Uh, the final cutscene is uh, the commercial for the story train, which is a real thing. You can actually buy it. It's a real thing, they keep telling you in the commercial. Uh, and then it tells you that the people on board are just puppets of fate and they have no souls, so don't worry about what happens to them. But go to www.story-train.com. www.story-train.com. It's a real thing. Promise, buy it. Go out and buy it. You go to www.story-train.com. Once it, when the episode first aired, if you opened that up, it went to like a 404. There's no website here, but Adult Swim did buy the um, the domain. Yeah. And now, if you go to it, it just redirects to Rick and Morty's website on AdultSwim.com and a whole bunch of Rick and Morty merchandise. But I think part of the joke here is okay. The TV show is yelling at you that this thing, which is clearly fictional. It's a simulation from the Citadel of Ricks. This thing is a real thing and we're challenging you to go out and buy it because they know we're going to try. Like we're going to try to buy it. If they tell us to do it, we're going to do it because we're slaves and we'll, you know, go to the McDonald's and demand our Szechuan sauce. So I think that's part of why that joke is in there is to um, make us kind of laugh at ourselves and kind of like ashamed of ourselves for what we'll do when the TV tells us to do it and to remind us that we're like outside of the story too. It's like, okay, you did it. You went to the website. The joke's on you. Now remember, Rick and Morty's not real and you are and you're in the real world. I love that. Let's talk a little bit about the Szechuan sauce. We've we've teased this Yeah, a bit. I keep mentioning it. I think we should kind of flesh that out because some of our listeners may not fully know what that means. In season three, in the season opener, Rick admits that his entire season two arc of becoming a, someone who self-sacrificed himself for his family was a lie so that he could dominate and control the family to push Jerry out of it so he can be the patriarch and also to get a Szechuan sauce which was a marketing chicken McNugget sauce. For the movie Mulan, which came out in the 90s. And he, he just wants to get that sauce. So McDonald's, seeing the popularity of Rick and Morty, was just like, hey, why don't we for a day bring back this sauce? We can make a lot of money. And people will come to McDonald's. It'll be great marketing. Obviously, Rick and Morty were involved in, and liked it. And Rick and Morty fans turned some McDonald's into absolutely... War zones. Fan hell. Yeah. Yeah. Like they, they, they ran out of sauce quickly. They demanded sauce. They trashed McDonald's property. They harassed McDonald's workers. Like, please, for the love of God, do not trash McDonald's workers. They've got enough on their plate. They yeah. work at McDonald's. I've done that job. It is awful. Yeah. And this was over something that was a joke and like a really good joke. And yeah, I bet this Szechuan sauce was really good, but there was absolutely no call for people to go in and harass individuals about it. A sauce no one had had before. Yeah. No one remembered. No one even knows if they like or didn't like. But simply going out there and demanding the sauce because a character in a cartoon show did. And I think we see that in the story train. And I think you're right. We see an echo of that. Like, this is not real. 
it's amazing to love a piece of artwork, whether it's commercial, private, etc., so much that you feel it in your bones. Yeah. The Midnight Myth is born of this love in many ways. You can love Rick and Morty so much it hurts you because you're that much of a fan. And that's really cool. Yeah. Go ahead and do that. But when that love tips to the point where you're doing property damage, whoa, hold on. There has to be a little bit of perspective. The purpose of fandom to me, um, if, I'm, if I want to say, and I, this is not unilateral. I'm not saying this is the purpose of all fans. Every fan conforms to this. I'm saying for my this personal, personal experience. Yeah. The purpose of being a fan of something beyond just the enjoyment of consuming the thing has always been about personal reflection and meditation. I ask myself why I love this thing. I investigate why I love it. Have I learned something from it? And ultimately, the things that I think teach little to no lessons, I end up leaving very quickly, even if I still love them. A great example of that Marvel Cinematic Universe. I love it, but doesn't give me as much to learn from as Rick and Morty does. So I like Rick and Morty a little more than the MCU. And I'm not saying the MCU doesn't have things to teach. It certainly does. It is about things. We've done a lot of podcasts about it. But if it becomes a little more surface level, once I start peeling back the layers, I tend to get less engaged with it. Because fandom to me, to be a fan of a thing, you have to also, and this is just a personal meditation again, reflect why do I love this? What about this makes me drawn to it? Is this a good thing? Is this a bad thing? And what we can see happens at times is fandom without introspection becoming toxic. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't expect that we would go to this place on this episode, but I think it's really important that we have. And I think it ties in directly with this particular episode of Rick and Morty, uh, just because I think we see so much of the creator uh, in the work. And I think we see so much of the, I think this entire season has had moments where it has reflected on uh, what's been happening with Rick and Morty fans. Uh, I mean, in this episode and in several episodes before it, Morty says, why don't we just relax? Stop asking so many questions. Let's just have fun. Let's just do, you know, easy adventures like we used to. Just get in the car. We'll go on an adventure. We'll just have fun with it. And that's, you know, a, a space where the show is once again asking like, hey, can we take a step back from being rabid? Can we take a step back from being awful to other people? And just have fun with this silly, ridiculous sci-fi show um, because there is, a, I think, a sense that like it, it may have gone too far. And I think it's really cool that the show has been able to uh, explore, explore the creator's relationship, explore the character's relationship to that sentiment through multiple episodes and through this one and its reflection on how stories are told. Yeah, I mean, and there are two episodes... Um, the one with the crapping in the like dimension dimensional toilet that Rick builds. Yeah, yeah. And the finale that both end with Rick alone with his head in his hands being like, I'm a piece of shit. And I think it this season goes out of its way to remind people like Rick is not someone you admire. Don't be Rick. Yeah. Like he makes us laugh, but like, don't be Rick. He's not a good person. Person. And he's not happy. No. And the Szechuan sauce will not make you happy. It will not, nor will being uh, aboard the story train. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, 
there's a, a call to like recalibrate your relationship to irony, I think, because so much of what has uh, driven the rabid fandom is is irony, is the fact that like no one would have ever thought of the Mulan Szechuan limited release sauce ever again if it wasn't brought up on this. So because it's so ironically funny, we'll go and make it make it the like our whole lives. We'll go and make it our season arc. Um, and the the actual thing that Rick and Morty is trying to do, I think is tell a sincere story, like you said, about people like trying maybe not as hard as they should or trying really hard to become just a little tiny bit better. Exactly. You know, in season three, in the second to last episode, there's a um, a bit where Beth wants to kind of get free. She wants to see the galaxy, but she also has the duty to her family. And Rick presents to her a choice. I can make a perfect clone of you and the clone would be a great mom, would never know it. All your memories. And you're free. And you can just go out and, you know, do whatever you want, or you can stay here. And it doesn't tell us what Beth's decision is. In the next episode, the season four finale, Beth is wondering, am I a clone or not? And ultimately comes to, I don't care, right? It is very on the nose, Blade Runnery. But um, here we have in the finale we have, there was a Beth clone and a Beth that stayed at home. And we learned that Rick doesn't know which is which. He decided to make the clone and they don't know which is which. And Beth and Beth's clone end up accepting who they are. They say, you know what? I got a family. You know what? I got a political career. Being a revolutionary in the galaxy, we're better than you. We don't need you. And then Rick realizes at the end, just like he did in the beginning, he is truly a piece of shit. And I think the reason we see that Rick is very low at the end of this um, season, I think has to do with the, let's make it crystal clear who the main character of this story is. His powers are fantastic. His adventures are amazing. His charisma is undeniable. And we all enjoy watching him, but he is a terrible father, a terrible grandfather. He's a horrible alcoholic. He is selfish to the core. He's sad. He's alone. He can't even fathom the idea that maybe he has some other family out there. And even when we start to see him make an inch forward, he takes two steps back. And I think Harmon is telling us very, very clearly Rick's a bad dude. Meanwhile, the rest of the characters, like Beth, as you've just described, and Morty, who's gained new independence, and Summer, who is extraordinarily self-possessed and strong and always seems to excel no matter where she's thrown in, even if it's on like a crazy alien facehugger planet. And even Jerry, like the saddest sack in the universe, seems more happy more in control of his circumstances and more evolved than Rick at this point. So I think you're making an incredible distinction here where we're, we're taking a really honest look at this character who a lot of us idolize, who a lot of us think is the smartest man in the universe or the funniest man in the universe or like someone to be put on a pedestal and everyone who is quote unquote inferior to him intellectually is exceeding him 
by leaps and bounds in terms of their of their personal development. Uh, so it's a call to like really look inward and say, why do I want to be like this guy, or do I want to be like this guy, or you know, can I recognize that there is like a greater uh, greater feeling of peace in being like one of these other characters. Yeah, if Rick is a god, he is a old-school, jealous, spiteful, mean, evil god. He is the secular Zeus, right? And secular Zeus is not someone we should want to emulate. Secular Zeus has sex with planets and abandons those children. Yeah. Sex, secular Zeus clones their daughter and doesn't know if the daughter they're interacting with every day is or isn't that clone. Secular Zeus is constantly putting their grandchildren into harm's way, almost having them killed on a 30 minute episode to episode basis. Secular Zeus is not who you want to be. The power is great. The charisma is great. The power is great. All of those things can be seductive, but I do think Rick and Morty season four is a story of like, uh, everyone Rick sucks and he ends the season at his lowest point. There's nothing heroic about Rick this season. And I love that. Yeah, yeah. That's so cool that they just decided, like, let's really dig into Rick's unheroics. I love it. Um, We have gone a little different from where we had planned. I just want to say it's a thousand degrees in here. Yeah. It's really, really hot. It's It's summer 2020 Philadelphia heat wave. I'm ready to call it. Yeah, I think this has been a really great conversation. Um, I hope that you have enjoyed it at home. I hope you are Rick and Morty fans and that you've gotten something out of this. Again, if you want us to dive into further episodes of season four or do any more Rick and Morty talk, we would absolutely love to. Just let us know if that's something that you're interested in. Um, And until next time. Stay cool, be swifty, and be kind. Be kind. Wubble-a-dub-dub. dub dub